The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson, and I'm a three-time, 20-year breast cancer survivor. Hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 22-year survivor. We're the co-founders of Breast Friends, and we have a very important topic today, genetic mutations. You know, we've all heard about the hero that Angelina Jolie kind of got credited for when she took proactive steps. You know, she found out that she carried the genetic mutation known as BRCA, And we have worked with breast cancer patients for over 15 years, and we have met many of the same type of hero. And today's show is about that and more. We have one of those heroes with us today to kick off our our show. Um, Courtney Lucera is a, a BRCA survivor who battled breast cancer twice before she was 35. Oh, my gosh. And um, (laughs) she was diagnosed with a BRCA gene mutation And ended up making some brave choices, too, um, as have her family members. Um, We've known her a long time, and we love her energy and zest for life. So welcome, Courtney. Thank you. And I'm also almost a 20-year cancer survivor now. So That's (laughs) fabulous. That's fabulous. You know, Courtney, we share that in common because I I just passed my 20-year mark for my first time around as well. So, oh, yeah, that's crazy, huh? to us. And Sharon's a 22-er. So. Yeah, I know, almost that's 23. Amazing. You'll have to Ish. look off on me next time we're together, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, let's just kind of um, chat a f- a for a few minutes. And, and, Courtney, kind of just tell us your story. I mean, that's probably the best place to start. Okay, well, I was um, 33 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer the first time. Um, there was no known breast cancer in my family. Um, I was young, healthy, nothing, you know, not at risk at all for breast cancer. Um, so I did pretty um, aggressive treatment, um, chemo, radiation, lumpectomy, and then I thought everything was finished in May of the following year. This was back in 1996 was when I was diagnosed. 1997, I completed my treatments. And um, a year later, I found uh, a lump in my other breast. And yes. so I was diagnosed again. Um, it was a pro- another primary tumor in the same type of cancer, infiltrating ductal carcinoma. And mm-hmm. at that time, that's when my um, oncologist, the, the BRCA gene mutation had just, you know, come out. And, and he had said that we were going to test for this. There, there's no reason by 35 you should have breast cancer a second time. Um, luckily, they tested for the entire panel. I was brought up Catholic, not knowing that I had a Jewish, Ashkenazi Jewish um, oh. background. 
and I was um, told that I have the BRCA gene mutation, and it was, you know, an Ashkenazi Jewish gene mutation that I have. So I was very, very fortunate to be tested for everything. Yes, definitely. And no history, no, like your mom, your aunt. No history. Wow. It it came from my father's side of the family. My father's side of the family was um, the side that was Jewish, and his mother actually um, switched over to Christian science. And so she had, I believe, like seven sisters and a brother. And so they may have died of ovarian cancer or breast cancer, but it was, they just didn't go to the doctors and they didn't, we didn't have any of the documentation of that. Right, right, so, right. So you know, looking okay. back, there, yeah. there could have been that. But my grandmother lived to be 87. I mean, she was, wow. you know. Yeah. a long life and no cancer that we knew of. So Yeah, back then people didn't really talk about it. I I didn't think I had a family history until we started actually talking about it, a few, you know, a few years afterwards, and then I found out that my dad's mom had it, my dad's sister had it, and they, you know, she had it two times. Um I knew I knew my cousin had it because she got it after I did. But we didn't know about that other part of the family. So it's kind of like, you know, you, there might not be a known history, but there still could be one, to your point. But it's you know, there, and right. And we did yeah. know my dad's cousin's daughter had been diagnosed with breast cancer um, in her 30s and passed away with bro- um, mm-hmm. brain mets by the time she was 40. But oh when my. we went in for genetic counseling, they I mean, that was so far removed. Like my dad's cousin's daughter, that, that was just very far removed, um, you know, but... That was, you know, one known one that we, you know, we did have, but it it didn't, it wasn't a close relative. Like you hear so many of these girls talk about, you know, their mother, their aunt, their grandmother. You know, I have some girlfriends that it's their entire, their entire family, not one girl has lived past the age of 40. Their whole family has been wiped out by breast cancer or ovarian. So frightening, isn't it? So obviously breast cancer affects all of us in a different way. Kind of tell us how it's affected your life or changed your life. Well, it changed my life in a few ways. Um, one is I was a special ed teacher in L.A. when I was diagnosed both times. Um, I just became very passionate about wanting to get the word out, especially for the young women with breast cancer and, you know, people that didn't think that they had a family history. I got very involved with a group called FORCE, Facing mm-hmm. Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. Right. And um, they are a great group out there that has a wonderful um wonderful website and it gets information out to people and talks to you about who should be tested and and has peer navigators all sorts of info on that Um, I also uh, I was teaching but started another job I uh, started a pink ribbon breast cancer awareness website called pinkwings.com I we started love your website. And, <laughs> you know, we love you. your I website. Love my website. <laughs> so, um, we've, we've got some really wonderful things for So I do Relay for Life and became a, you know, a chairman or a co-chair for the survivor group for Relay for Life and started our first one in Pacific Palisades, California, and, and still was involved in them in Albany, Oregon. Uh, the Revlon Run Walk for Women's Cancers that were here in L.A. for almost 20 years. Um, I do the breast cancer 60-mile uh, breast cancer three-day walks all over the country. I've completed um, 14 of the 60-mile walks, the Avon 39 walks. So I became very involved um, with Susan G. Cullen Race to the Cure. And um, so I've since quit teaching, and I actually fly around the country, and I get to set up my booth and do um, shows, you know, and sell uh, pink ribbon breast cancer awareness product and donate money back. And so far through myself, my family, and my company, Pink Wings, we've raised over 500000 um, to donate back. That's wow. amazing, Courtney. And, you know, so it, it's one of those things where I know no none of us sign up for breast cancer. You know, it's not like, <laughs> oh, pick me, pick me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, just like, 
just like Becky and I with breast friends, um, you know, you've really capitalized, I guess, if you will, on on that and made it your mission, which is huge, which is so exciting. Well, I just feel that even if I can save one life, you know, a year by just getting out there and telling people, I feel like I was in the worst possible position. I was 33, no known history in my family, healthy. I was one of those people that they were going to tell every six months, just come back, come back, come back. Is the lump getting bigger? We'll check it later. It's nothing. It's probably cystic fibrotic, you know, breast tissue. And um, I actually tell people now, it's probably not the right thing to do, but I say just tell them somebody has breast cancer in your family because... In my situation, I'm one of those people that, you know, really shouldn't have made it because if they would have kept telling me to come back, which they were telling me, I'd gone into a consultation. I found the lump in April of 96, and it was October of 96 before they finally took the lump out, and they were sending me for a consultation to the surgeon. And when I was in his office, I said, I will not leave your office until you do a biopsy and take this out. And my paperwork says, excision per patient request. And I feel that if I had not done that and I walked out of that office just for the consultation, I, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, um, it would have continued to grow and possibly spread. Um, you know, so you really have to be an advocate for yourself. And if something doesn't feel right to you, it doesn't matter what the numbers are. It doesn't matter right. that, um, you know, I shouldn't have gotten breast cancer and that the percentages were so low. When it is you, it's 100%. Absolutely, Um, absolutely. And Courtney, I always tell the doctor when I find a lump, because you know I've been diagnosed three times and we find all kinds of stuff. So when I find a lump, and sometimes they are nothing, but I always tell them I'd rather watch it in a Petri dish, thank you very much. So take it (laughs) out. (laughs) You know, if we're going to watch it, it's not going to be in my body. So, right, um, right. And yeah. I, that's, I didn't feel that I had cancer, but I had something inside of me that just said, I cannot live my life with this in my body. Actually, when I was finally diagnosed and told it was cancer, I was the girl in my cancer support group that didn't really have cancer. I was going through the motions and doing surgeries and chemo and bald, and, but, um, you know, I was in a complete denial the first time with my cancer, even though I wanted this thing out knowing I couldn't live, you know, with it. I, I don't know why. I don't know what I thought it was, but I just didn't really think it was cancer. Um, and then the second time around was when I really got it. And that's when I started doing, you know, so much to try to, to give back and raise money and, um, you know, wonderful opportunities out there. I got to go to Sri Lanka with breast cancer survivors and help build homes um, in the slums of Colombo after the tsunami. Um, I'm actually going to be on an episode of Skin Wars, which is a body painting um, show that's on Game Show Network. I have an episode coming up June 8th. Um, where they body painted uh, young breast cancer survivors and kind of put our stories on our bodies. Um, so I've had amazing opportunities that would never have come to me in a normal life situation. Um, yeah. Because of having breast cancer twice, I um, not only lost my hair and my breast, I lost my fertility. And so I um, adopted three kids after cancer. Um, so everything about my life is completely different and something I wouldn't trade, um, you know. Isn't yeah, it funny how that works out? Story. Yeah, definitely. Wow. We always talk crazy. about breast cancer being a blessing and people go, what? How can that possibly be? But you just yeah. hit it on the head. You know, we, we kind of just go through our life reacting to stuff and, and then you get something like cancer or some other life-threatening thing and suddenly we're not so interested in reacting as we are in proacting, you know, exactly. kind of doing well, you things on purpose. Realize we're all, no one makes it out of this, you know, world alive. And it doesn't exactly. matter if you have 10 years or 100 years, you've got this finite time. And it's really made me put life in perspective and things in perspective. And, um, you know, as cancer survivors, I'm sure you have them too. Now they call it the bucket list, but 
18 yeah. years ago, we called it, you know, a list of things to do before I die. And yeah. um, I'm I, marking I, I off that list, you know. <laughs> You still trying to get back to a single-digit dress size. I think I'm just going to pull that one right off of there. <laughs> that may not you know, happen. And uh, you know what? Yeah. And, and more and more these days, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm yeah, kind of like, too. at least, you know. At least you're here. Yeah, exactly. I'm here, and I'm very proud of, of how I look and who I am. So Exactly. Yeah, that's, well, that's what we day, care about. Every day above ground is a good day. So. <laughs> Oh, amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I mean, it, when it you when you talk about your fertility, people... um, oh, tell me fertility. T- tell me about losing your fertility. I think that is something. I think you grow up knowing about cancer and knowing that cancer patients lose their hair, and and you also think that they get very skinny, which that's not always the truth. But um, no, I was. I didn't know that. Besides, besides I, I thought, losing I thought your breath, I would lose weight from your hair. All the chemo. I thought I'd lose weight from all that chemo to your point and I didn't (laughs) and I was thinking man at least that would be the silver lining but it wasn't exactly the silver lining was at least I'll be really skinny but yeah no you're not you've got the pumpkin face (laughs) from all the steroids and the chemo and yeah Um, but I didn't realize you lose your fertility and that was um, probably just as devastating or more than the cancer diagnosis was mourning the loss of you know, mm-hmm. I had one daughter, thankfully, because many of these young women don't even, you know, haven't even had their first kid. Um, but right. I was a single mom with a three-year-old when I was diagnosed the first time. And, yes. um, but I desperately wanted, you know, more children. I wanted a bigger family. And um, that was just it's devastating. And back then, you could freeze an embryo, but I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. Um, so I did actually go to the sperm bank, and I was able to just freeze one embryo. And I kept that embryo for about 18 years, and I finally let it go because you pay... It's an exorbitant amount of money. It was over like $10,000 just to get to that point of having the embryo. And then every year you're paying like $500 a year just in your storage fees. And um, when I finally decided to go the route of adoption instead, and I wanted that money to go towards my, you know, my kids and their college and their futures instead of this embryo, you know. Right. But that was a really devastating thing to happen was... Mm. Yeah, I remember my very first chemo threw me into menopause. And we, see, I was diagnosed in 93, just a few years before you were. And I remember, again, not even having a conversation about that. Now, I was 40. I was a little bit older. I had had, my youngest was nine. And I really didn't intend to have any more children. But to take that away from me without even a conversation was upsetting, was really upsetting. And And like you said, I had to literally grieve that piece of it. Yes. Yeah, you grieve it just like losing your breast and losing your hair, but it's even something even worse to just know that that's, I mean, that's not what we grow up thinking. You think I'm going to grow up and get married and live in a house with a white picket fence and have, you know, whatever, two kids, four kids, whatever, and just to all of a sudden realize, wow, that might, that's not the way that, you know, like my life is going to be now. So that was exactly. really devastating. Yeah. So t- let's go back to the bracket testing for just a second and, and tell me about, you know, when you actually did that testing and, and kind of how, um, how that really affected you as well as other members of your family. Well, it was shocking, like I said, to find out about that it was the Ashkenazi gene mutation. I knew my father's father was Jewish, but I didn't, I had no idea his mother's side of the family was Jewish also. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, 
it was kind of scary at that point. That gene mutation had just come out. There wasn't all of this knowledge about it and all of the, you know, the celebrities coming out saying that they're BRCA and what they're doing about it. Um, so I was still in a lot of denial. So the first breast cancer diagnosis, I did um, a lumpectomy with chemo and radiation. The second diagnosis, I did two lumpectomies, and they couldn't get clear margins, and that's the only reason I did the mastectomy. It was not because of the mutation. Um, I waited years and years to do the oophorectomy, and because, again, that was mourning that this is the end of it, for sure, that I will not have my you know own children now. And then it wasn't until 2007 that I finally removed my other breast because a surgeon said to me at a force conference, um, you know, you're like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. You've had breast cancer twice. You've had the gene mutation. Why are you holding on to this other breast? And Mm -hmm. when he put it that way, I was like, yeah, you're right. And then I said, well, my sister also back in 98 found out that she was BRCA positive and um, she's done nothing. And he says, well, why? And I actually called my sister on the phone in the shuttle. I'm on the shuttle with this surgeon back to the airport leaving the conference and talked to her about it. So I made the appointment later that week to go in and do my surgery. And then a few months later, my sister went in and did um, a prophylactic double mastectomy um, before she was 40 and did the oophorectomy also. So she had gotten wow. married. She found out at, at, I think, age 30. So she waited a good 10 years and was very lucky not to get a diagnosis. But then she um, had, you know, got married, had her children, and then, um, like I said, before she was 40, had a double mastectomy and an oophorectomy prophylactically. So, you know, the interesting thing about about BRCA and the way it's been kind of explained to me, it's like 85% of the people who have the BRCA-positive gene mutation uh, will likely get breast cancer in their lifetime. Now, is that that what you're hearing too these days, or has it changed? They were saying 87% chance of breast ovarian cancer in your lifetime. My BRCA gene also carries um, pancreatic melanoma. Let me see, breast, ovarian, pancreatic, melanoma, and then for the men, prostate, which my dad had prostate cancer before he passed away, and his brother also had prostate. So, yeah, it carries a lot of different cancers on that gene mutation. Wow, um, wow, wow, wow. So, so again, by, by having a prophylactic mastectomy and an oophorectomy, which is removing your ovaries, um, that reduces your, your um, chance of having um, a cancer or at least a breast or ovarian cancer diagnosis in your lifetime. It doesn't take it away 100%, but it certainly reduces it way, 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 way down, right? And it brings it actually down to lower than now what the general population has. So our general population is more like a 12%. They're kind of opposite of what we have. So, um, But it actually is bringing it down to even lower now than what, what the general population has once you have the, um, you know, the prophylactic wow. mastectomy or the, the oophorectomy. It looks like we're right up to our break. (laughs) We um, are. And so we do need to take a couple minutes. But when we come back, Courtney, we're going to continue with you on the line. But we're also going to have Nancy Ledbetter. And I'll introduce her when she comes on the line after the break. So um, stay tuned and do call in with your stories. If you have anything you'd like to ask or share, our number is 866-472-5792. And we'll be back in just a couple minutes. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. 
One day you hear one thing, and the next day you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about genetic mutations that increase our cancer risk. So we still have Courtney, a two-time breast cancer survivor, uh, on the line with us. And I think we have another guest, Becky. We do. Um, we, we were supposed to have a guest, Dr. Lancaster, but unfortunately, you know, life happens. And in the business we're in, we see a lot of this kind of thing. But Dr. Lancaster was unable to make the call today because of a family emergency. But we have Nancy Ledbetter, who stepped up to the plate and said, I'll do it. So we've got her on the line. Nancy is a clinical nurse specialist with an advanced degree in genetics testing from City of Hope. And I don't think it gets much better than that. So, so Nancy, welcome to our show. We're so glad that you were able to join us, too. Well, thank you. I'm glad I was able to make it also. Awesome. So I think we did have, Courtney, I think, were there any other questions we had for Courtney? But we want you to stay on the line with us so you can jump in on any conversation that you hear. But well, there- I, okay. I think we were talking about, you know, you're in your family a little bit, which is good. But then on break, you mentioned about your daughter. And I don't think we'd actually talked about that on the air. So... Yeah, it brought tears to my eyes when you just, or to, you know, when you just said that Nancy would be, um, you know, coming on the line with us because um, she's the one that actually, uh, my daughter was 19 when she went in for her testing um, for the BRCA gene mutation, and in my heart, I had known we we knew I had the gene mutation since she was five years old, and she talked about wanting to get tested right away um, after she was 18, and um, so sure enough, she did go in and get testing, and Nancy was the one that gave us the news that my 19-year-old has the breast cancer mutation. What a small world. It is a small world. Oh, my gosh. Well, isn't that something? That's very cool. Um, Courtney, you have a sister that that also, I mean, I don't know if you're you're free to talk about that, so we just don't need to if we we shouldn't be. But, um, in fact, we'll just leave that one alone. Um, So, Nancy, can we talk to you just from a clinical perspective? Um, Can you tell us? What happens? Why do these genes mutate, and what, what's that about? Well, I don't know that we know exactly what happens to cause it, but um, we know it doesn't happen very often. So, 
in a situation where a person um, finds out they have a mutation, in nearly every case, their parent does. Mm. Um, so sometimes it's sort of easy to see the family tree and how that maps out, and sometimes it's not. And, of course, people sometimes um, are adopted and that type of thing. Um, but I don't think we know exactly the mechanism that causes gene mutations to occur. And, you know, the, the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes are... We have about 20,000 genes. We all have gene mutations of one sort or another that either cause bad or good things. Um, and we're really, even though we've been doing it for a while, we're still really learning about how genes work and what happens when things aren't working exactly like they should, which mm. is basically what a gene, a gene mutation does. It causes the gene not to function like it should. Okay. I, I heard it kind of described when you do the testing that it's, like running spell check on your genes, you know. Well, right. <laughs> like That's a lot what of they errors. Find. Sometimes in my... things have genes have something missing. Sometimes they have something extra. Sometimes the things are kind of rearranged in a different order than they should be. Um, so those are the types of mutations. But exactly what triggers that um, isn't isn't well understood. Mm. So is it always something that that you are born with, or can it be, can it mutate along the way sometime in your life? Well, for a BRCA1 or 2 gene mutation and the things that cause hereditary breast cancer, you're always born with it. But okay. that's an important distinction because cancer is actually always genetic, but it's rarely hereditary. So cancer actually is always caused by damage to genes, but most of the damage that causes most of the cancers that most people get are gene damage that um, that we acquire and accumulate as we live and get older, and um, um, those those genetic changes are just in the tumor cells and not in all the cells. So the difference mm. with a, a gene mutation a person's born with is it's there from the get-go, so it populates all the cells and causes a much much more risk and much more problem in that a person's gene isn't functioning like it should. Mm. So just to clarify something, because I heard this some time ago, and I just want to make sure, because I don't want to be saying it if it's wrong, yeah. but you were just saying that you know we all have gene mutations, and so when cancer starts to develop... It's because some cell in our body becomes abnormal for some reason, and if they're not choked off by, is it the white blood cells or the, is it white blood cells that choke off those bad cells? Well, there's cells? different mechanisms that help okay. repair when, um, okay. when cells divide. We have cell division going on all the time, you know, huge numbers of cells dividing in our body, and so mistakes happen. And we have natural mechanisms to correct those mistakes or repair those mistakes. Um, but cancer does happen when the when the mistakes aren't corrected like they should be, and okay. more and more abnormal cells are allowed to uh-huh. divide and proliferate. Yeah, so those are the things we've talked about, building your immune system, which is part of that process of, of it, stopping yeah. that gene mu- mutation from happening. So, right, right. okay, well, that's um, that, that's, that clarifies that. Thank you. Oh, and welcome. so what, what is the testing involved? And is it painful? What, what, is, what are the different ways to do this? Well, for the most part now, uh, we can do a spit test. A person has to spit into a little container, and most of my patients think they can't produce that much spit, but they all can. Wow. <laughs> and then the other option is a, is a blood test. Um, and when a person comes in, they, they need to have not had uh, food or drink for a half hour. So if they bring in their beverage or have chewing gum or whatever, that might be a reason we would choose the blood test. Um, and some people have preferences about it, or if they have, say, dry mouth from their chemotherapy or, you know, those kinds of things, we might do a blood test. But that's basically it, spit or blood. I'd okay. much rather spit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. most people <laughs> say sure. that. I don't like needles, and they don't like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So who is a candidate for testing, for genetic testing? I mean, does, do you have to have the family history, or 
are there some other precursors that would indicate that? Well, uh, either a personal history of cancer or a family history. So the the real uh, the people that uh, it makes sense to have testing, even if they don't have a family history, would be women who are diagnosed with breast cancer at age 45 or younger, because we know breast cancer tends to happen at a younger age for in hereditary cases. Women who have ovarian cancer at any age, they um, all are candidates to have the test. And, of course, you know, sometimes it makes a difference if they were adopted and they have no children and, you know, those kinds of things might or might not impact their decision to have testing for themselves. But increasingly, there are treatment impacts, too, with, um, with the test. Men with breast cancer, that's a red flag for hereditary mm-hmm. breast cancer. Okay. So they're another group that even if they don't have a family history... Yeah, um, and then, of sense. course, people who have the strong family history, multiple relatives, a cluster of breast and ovarian cancer in the family, um, they, they, it makes sense for them to test. Okay, I remember when right. I went in for, for genetic testing, because um, I'm a three-time survivor, and I went in for genetic testing, and I was positive I was going to come out, you know, mm. that I had the genetic yeah. link because of my mom having cancer. Mm-hmm. But they weren't worried about my mom because she was diagnosed in her 70s after right. I was. Um, but they were concerned about my dad's side of the family because mm-hmm. I, yeah, you know, I really didn't think that I could get it from my dad's side. But he's got it on through three different relatives on his mm-hmm. side. And I did test negative for the BRCA1 and 2. Mm-hmm. But I always wondered if there's more out there. You know, that oh, now, yeah. There probably yes, is. There is more out there. Um, we now know about more genes that cause an increased risk of breast cancer. But it still is common, the situation you just described, where a woman with real risk factors, uh, her own cancer history, a first-degree relative, your mom, and some history on dad's side. Still, it does happen that people have uh, negative test results even when um, the family history kind of points to something going on. So we know we don't know everything yet, but we certainly, um, it's rapidly evolving, and since I started doing this, we know about a lot more genes than we used to. How That's accurate great. are those tests? Are they, um, I mean, if I, if I was told that it was negative, is there a chance that that test just was faulty and it and if we did it again, I might have a different answer? Um, it probably wouldn't have a different answer unless the test was different, unless the test looked okay. at different genes than what your test uh, was. Okay. okay. So the tests are very, very accurate. I don't think I've ever really seen a case where the lab made a mistake that we can prove. Okay. Um, and if it finds something, that's a, that's a definite thing. It's found an abnormality. The, yeah. the question of um, sort of, making things make sense and accuracy comes with the strong family history and the negative test result because we think there's things out there that we just have not identified yet and don't have a test for yet. Okay. Well, so that makes if sense. If you have a family history, say you have breast cancer at 45 and you have a negative test, your sister and your daughters, we still have to say, have a higher risk than other women without a family history. Okay. That makes sense. So it looks like we have a caller. Uh, Alicia is on the phone. She's holding for us. So, Alicia, do you have a question for us or just a little bit of uh, your story? Um, yeah, hi. Um, hi, Alicia. I, hey, I was um, 27 years old when I found my lump, and um, from there I kind of, you know, I listened to the rumors back then, and it was, you know, that cancer doesn't happen to young people um, or breast cancer. And then uh, I also found that I didn't have cancer at all, even breast cancer in my family. Um, not one person had had any type of cancer. And um, I, I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't have health insurance. It's, I'm not going to you know, pay for a doctor to tell me the same thing. So I let it go. 
um, when I became uh, the age of 29, I found that um, finally, you know, that I would go get my yearly exam, and um, that's when they found uh, that I did have cancer. It was stage three breast cancer, and mm-hmm. um, they were sure because we could not figure out exactly how, when, and why um, I actually would have got breast cancer at such a young age. Um, we did do the BRCA1 and 2 test, Gina, and um, it, it came back negative. So I'm really not sure why, or I mean, I, I don't know if there's another gene that would maybe, if it's just, if it was it the, the luck of the draw? I mean, does that actually happen? <laughs> or is there a gene out there that is probably going to tell me that, you know, hey, yeah, there is that possibility that there is still a, ge- a genetics in there. Yeah, Nancy, why don't you take take that one, because that's oh, right well, up your alley. You know, we can't know for sure your cancer was not hereditary if you had a negative test. But, um, you know, I see that often where women are very young when they get diagnosed. I mean, I don't see it every day, I want to be clear, but um, I've seen it several times. Um, and they don't have a family history, and we do the test because they are so young, and the test comes back negative. And, you know, like um, in a lot of cases with cancer, we can't pinpoint what caused it, and we can't know for certain, even though being young is a risk factor for a hereditary problem, that doesn't mean it causes all early-onset breast cancers. So we just can't know for sure. How long ago did you have your test, Alicia? Uh, This would have been 2011. Okay. Uh, well, since 2011, things have changed, so I would encourage you to talk to your health care provider and, and also review the family history. You know, those can change with time. Um, either if nothing happens, we get more reassurance, and obviously if, if more relatives get cancer, that sort of points us in, in different directions mm-hmm. sometimes. For sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, Alicia, you brought up the question or the comment about insurance. Um, I know when I went through my procedure several years ago, my insurance did cover it, um, I don't know how that's being impacted now with Obamacare and the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, Nancy, can you address that? I don't know if you have any, any information on that. but Oh, yeah. Um, so in general, um, depending on the state you live in, uh, but certainly in Oregon where I live where they expanded Medicaid um, and did other things to encourage more people to have insurance, I see way fewer uninsured patients than I used to. Okay. which is nice because it was always difficult um, when people didn't yeah. have insurance and you wanted to get them things that they didn't have necessarily the resources to have. Um, so overall, the rate of uninsured people has gone down. I have not seen um, insurance companies become more stingy about the testing. They cover it, certainly in a situation like Alicia's, it's commonly covered by most mm-hmm. of, you know, by all the insurances I work with. Um, and, you know, not every person in every circumstance, can always have it. But for the most part, when people have real compelling stories as far as their family history or their own personal history, it gets covered. Um, And then if people really are um, struggling and don't have resources, the labs that offer the tests generally have assistance programs or sometimes um, other institutions, other places have, or organizations, we can get get help. That's great. So just... Yeah. yeah, so is this considered a screening procedure or a diagnostic procedure? Because I know insurance treats them differently. At least For mammogram, definitely. Um, and it depends. So if a woman has had breast cancer or ovarian cancer or if a man has had breast cancer, we would say if they have find a mutation, well, now we know they have di- they've got a diagnosis of hereditary breast cancer. So we mm-hmm. would call that diagnostic. Ah, okay. okay. person who has not had cancer is getting the test because of a family history. That's more of a screening test. Okay, got it. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Well, that's, that's, no, because um, I'll have to talk to my doctor about that because, you know, I, I sit here and think, and, and I, I get asked that question all the time, you know, you're so young, how, you know, why did you get breast cancer? You know, I was, I was working out, I was eating healthy. Mm-hmm. I was oh, doing, yeah, I know, you were doing all the right things and you didn't cause it. Things that you're supposed to do, yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, by the way, you're, and still, my mom, uh, my, I mean, aunts, grandmas, great-grandmas, <laughs> grandpas, nobody, nobody has it, and um, well, I'm good. the only person. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that um, it doesn't. It's not a common experience, but I have seen that in my career many times. Um, and women under fifty who get breast cancer don't typically have the kind of cancer risk factors we think about people having. They, um, we don't exactly know outside of the hereditary piece what goes on to cause that early onset breast cancer. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you, Alicia, yeah. so much for calling. We appreciate that a lot. Um, so as far as uh, Courtney, are you still there? I know we haven't talked to you much this segment. Yep. <laughs> so um, tell us about your, your daughter. Go back to your daughter again. Um, you mentioned uh, you know, Nancy being the one that actually gave her the, the diagnosis or gave you both the diagnosis that she has the, the gene. So how is she dealing with all of this news? Um, I mean, it's like I said, she had wanted to test from the time that she was young. She said, right. you know, I knew about the testing. She had wanted a test. And I, like I said, in my heart felt because she was so much like me. I know that doesn't necessarily mean she's going to have it or not have it. But I just, for some reason, really felt that she did. Um, <clears throat> she kind of goes back and forth. She went to one of the force conferences. That's a group that I talked about before, Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. And, and um, they have a great website, facingourrisk.org. And then they have a, a conference every year. Um, this coming year, it'll be October of uh, 2016, will be their next conference um, in Florida. And so she went to the conference with me, with me and it, she would go and really like feel like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to probably do the double mastectomy and the oophorectomy, you know, not right away. She's only 22 now, but um, she goes back and forth. You know, she was in college when she was told about this and, and didn't have a boyfriend and wasn't really looking at wanting to start a family right away. And she had been looking into possibly going to medical school and um, she has now graduated from college, and she has a boyfriend, but, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, it puts you on a fast track of, wow, if I'm going to have kids, maybe I need to do it sooner rather than later. And, um, you know, it just it's not the type of things you want to think about at your early 20s. Not, not at 22 um, years old, no. <laughs> <for bed. laughs> yeah, yeah. She goes back and forth. I mean, we, um, I'm very uh, frightened for her because um, I follow the boards. I follow all the different, you know, the um, Facebook pages with the different people with the BRCA mutations and hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. And what I'm seeing right now is so many of these girls that were doing surveillance, which is what she's doing right now, um, because you can either choose to do surveillance or you can choose to do something, you know, preventatively, so prophylactic mastectomy or oophorectomy. But so many of these women that were doing surveillance they're hitting 33, 34, 35, and they're being diagnosed. And I know that I'm just seeing the ones that are being diagnosed because they're the ones posting on these pages. Sure. Um, and that frightens me. I do not want to watch my daughter go through what I went through, what my sister did to take control of her life and say, I'm having my breasts removed. I'm going to do it at this, you know, this date and this time that I don't have to do chemo. I don't have to do radiation. I can... You know what I mean? Like, she didn't have right. to do all the things that I had. Once you're diagnosed, it's like, wow, it's going to happen mm-hmm. now. You're going to do your surgeries, your chemo, your radiation. It goes on the cancer's track instead of your yeah. track of what you want to do. So exactly. I'd rather have exactly. her take charge of her life and make her own decisions preventatively. Um, but it's her life. You know, she gets to decide mm-hmm. what she wants to do. She's 
lost weight. She's eating much healthier, does yoga all the time, really into good nutrition. So it's definitely changed her just with that, good. knowing she has that mutation. Um, but, you know, yeah. she has to make her own decision. But if it was up to me, I, I, I've picked the surgeon for her. She'll be going to New York to um, do what's called an alloderm one-step reconstruction with the same surgeon that did mine and my sister's. I mean, mm-hmm. she's met them at the conference, and um, oh, good. you know, but she's got to make her decision, and whether she makes it at twenty-five or thirty or thirty-five, or decides to continue with surveillance, that's it's up to her. Yeah, um, it's a very personal I, decision, that's for sure. We do need to take another break, so we're gonna um, we're gonna put you or come come back to you in a couple minutes. I'm getting all tongue tied here, um, but we have we really enjoyed this conversation, so please feel free to call in eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. And we'll be back again in a couple of minutes. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Hi, we're back from break. We've uh, been talking about genetic mutations. And this has been an interesting conversation. Um, uh, Let's just pick up where we left off. Uh, Becky, we were going to talk about what the benefits of testing. Is that what we were doing? Yeah. You know what? You know, when a woman, like for me, when I was first taught, when they talked to me about having testing, I said, well, I've already had cancer, so I already know I'm at risk. So why do I need the testing? And so... What what's the what is what are all the benefits? I mean, I know 
kind of from my perspective, but what are the benefits of testing for women who've already had cancer? What, what does it impact? And Nancy, I'd like you to answer that if you don't mind. Sure. Um, well, the, the main thing for women who've had breast cancer, if they have a BRCA gene mutation, then we know even if they don't have a family history of ovarian cancer, that they have an increased risk for that. And that is very important to, to identify and know about because we don't have routine screening for ovarian cancer. Uh, we don't have, unfortunately, we don't have a, a reliable test for picking it up early. Mm-hmm. So for women who are at least 35 and have completed childbearing, so we don't tell people to change their life plan necessarily, although they may choose to do that, um, the, the recommendation now is to have surgery to remove the ovaries and the tubes because um, that reduces the risk the most, and that is the intervention for BRCA mutation-positive women that is the most life-saving. Okay, um, yeah, because, boy, ovarian cancer, you know, I know they still probably call it the silent killer because there's just right. not the not the um, testing that, that breast cancer has with the mammograms, and, right. um, yeah, it can be... It can be diagnosed so late. Uh, right. That it's the ovaries are small and they're deep in the abdomen, and that is not the case with the breast. So that's, mm-hmm. that's in essence, the, the, the difference and why it's so much easier to detect a breast cancer when it's still curable. Right, and plus, right. when women have that, that feeling in you know, the ovarian cancer, so many times they confuse the symptoms with having a, a period that's right. well, there's taking symptoms longer that we than all normal. experience from time to time, like feeling bloated, having yeah, some abdominal pain. <laughs> You know, feeling full quickly after you eat, those kinds of things we all have had. And it's when they persist a week, two weeks, and they're not going away and they're staying steady, that's when a person needs to take that to their doctor. Um, And the other thing I should mention, for women who have had breast cancer who have a mutation, their risk of a second breast cancer event is higher. So the risk of a new breast cancer, it's usually in the opposite breast, is increased. So they would either choose increased surveillance, similar to a woman who's never had breast cancer, either increased surveillance with MRI in addition to mammogram, if they're taking anti-hormone medicine, that reduces the risk of a second breast cancer. But the other thing is some women choose, um, and it reduces the risk of that happening the most, is bilateral, both breasts, having surgery to remove both breasts. Um, and one is to treat the breast cancer, the other one is preventative. Sure. Right, right, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I know in my situation, here I was diagnosed at 40. Again, I'm adopted, so I didn't really oh. have the family history to to fall back on. So I never did any sort of testing at that time. But then several years later, in fact, about seven years ago, I found my birth mother and Mm -hmm. my aunt, her sister, and they had both had breast cancer. So that threw me into, oh, I better get this checked out. (laughs) So I went ahead and had the... the BRCA testing, and I came out negative, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, my daughter um, has it on her dad's side as well. She lost her grandmother and her great-grandmother to to breast cancer, and then, of course, me being young, di- being right. diagnosed. So she's like 31, and she's like, you know, kind of chomping at the bit, wondering <laughs> if she should get that testing, even though I was negative. So what's your thoughts on that, Nancy? Well, it's possible to inherit a mutation from dad also, and um, I think she needs to talk to her health care providers, obviously, and have that family history on dad's side, you know, mapped out and know the ages of the diagnoses and and the things that we look for to see if there's um, strong reason to believe there's a hereditary risk. Um, and if she meets the criteria for testing, if it's two first-degree relatives, so mother-daughter with breast cancer over 50, 
that's a lot less likely to be a mutation. So, you know, one thing to keep in mind, as you all know, one in eight women gets breast cancer by 90. One in 50 women gets breast cancer by 50, but only about one in 500 has a BRCA mutation. So it's very important to find that one in 500. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. we test, you know, anyone who gets breast cancer at a young age nowadays for that reason. But, um, you know, in terms of your daughter, unless people were diagnosed really young or unless there's more out there in the family, Mm -hmm. um, it's just something she needs to talk about, you know, with her provider and sort of map out those details and see, and also, of course, in conjunction with your negative test and the risk that she still has because her mother had breast cancer at a young age. That's a complicated set of circumstances she has, but it can be, you know, assessed and looked at in terms of what she needs to do for screening. Okay, I'll, la- I'll let her know. Thank you so yeah, much. You know, when I had my, my cancer the first time, my kids were, were young, and I have two daughters. Um, my, youngest, my youngest daughter was 15, and my other one was older than that, but still, like, you know, in her 20s. And I really hesitated, and I, was, I really struggled with the, with the idea of getting tested because mm-hmm. I had people say to me, well, why wouldn't you want to get tested? You've got daughters. They need to know. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if they're ready to hear it. Right. So I really I yeah. delayed it for a long time. And then finally, one day, I reached out to my kids and I said, okay, so I'm thinking about having a test to find out if I have the hereditary, you know, the, the gene that could then be passed to you. And are you wanting to hear the answer if I get this done? I wanted them to tell me that, yes, by all mm-hmm. means, I want to know. Because once you know... Yeah, you, you can't know, take it, it back. <laughs> you can't take it back. And it's yeah. a huge... I mean, it's... There's a lot of emotional stuff that goes around that because, you know, like Courtney was talking about with, you know, with her daughters, we, mm-hmm. we don't, I, I don't know how much they are capable of handling and then they've got to be faced with their own decisions. Do I want to have, a, you know, a double mastectomy when I'm young? Do I want to have an oophorectomy and all these things when I'm young? And is that an added burden to them? So I struggled with that decision. And then when I finally reached out to them, they said, absolutely, I want to know. So oh, okay. I had the test and yeah, but I asked them if they'd want to know. Because right. I was going to probably do it anyway for me because I might have a, my ovaries removed. But I wasn't sure I wanted to tell them. So right. <laughs> I wanted to know before I did the test if they wanted to know the results. So. Yeah. So uh, my daughter was like, like Courtney's daughter. You know, she was like, you know, in on all those decisions early yeah. on. And, you know, being a single mom myself at the time, I'm sure, you know, uh, as, as she was growing up, she was very involved in, in what, what was going on in my life. So... I'm sure that might be the difference as well. Who knows? Um, both of our daughters are probably pretty strong-willed girls. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I think too that this generation—they're very, very empowered. You know, they've got the internet at their fingertips now to be able to get to gather very so much true. data, and they're—you know—they're just kind of an empowered generation. And I think they like having that knowledge and having that power to make decisions with it. So I just kind of think it's a different generation too, going all the way from back, you know, from our grandparents and their parents where nobody even spoke about this stuff to anything you want to know about. It's amazing how how much has changed in just a couple of generations. Yeah, because, um, you know, just like uh, you didn't know about your you know, grandmother, you know, on your dad's side sort of thing, having having cancer, you know, it's kind of like the they didn't even talk about it. It was the big elephant in the room, and now everything is so out there, you can talk about just about anything, so. <laughs> you know, can I share a light moment? With, this has been a really deep conversation, but i got to share a light moment talking about social media. My my, I call him my sort of dad. He's my stepdad. He is 96 years old. He just turned 96 last week. He is on Facebook. <laughs> 
I love it. How many 96-year-olds do we oh, know that are on? He's he a just, character. He just got on Facebook recently. He's been posting pictures and, you know, <laughs> commenting on things. It's like, this is so cool. That's just so, cute. In that yeah. same so day, we all of us. grandma, and we tried to do pictures with my step-grandma, who's 103, and we're doing selfies. And to watch a 103-year-old trying to take selfies and understand, like, how this is happening, it was pretty funny. So, oh, that is darling. Oh, I didn't know so you're, you have a grandmother that's that old. Oh, my gosh. Well, she's my step-grandma. That's 103. Okay. But I have, most of my family members and my, you know, my immediate family, too, lived, I thought I'd live forever. I, this breast cancer was, you know, really put me down because my mom's grandma lived to be 101 and my dad's mom lived to be 87 and I just thought, oh, I've got this covered. Like, no problem. I'm going to be 100 and all of a sudden to get diagnosed at 33. (laughs) Yeah, that takes your breath away a bit. No wonder you were a little bit in denial, huh? Yeah, no kidding. Oh, yeah. I thought I was going to live like everybody else, you know, to 100. I mean, and I was lucky I made it to 35, you know, or 40 and now I'm 53. It's amazing. So I think think you're going to live many, many, many more because you're you're not done yet. I wanted to say thank you to Nancy and let people know that, you know, the most important thing about the genetic testing is, you know, you've got to go do do the genetic counseling because it's just so important to have a counselor um, talking to you and talking about your history and then talking about what these, you know, what your results can mean for you and and giving you some some options and and kind of more information of where to go after once you have your results, whether they're negative or positive. Because I think getting a negative result for some of these women in these families where everyone has it is is really hard, too. I agree. I thought thought for sure I was going to have it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Becky did too. So yeah. you're right. There's. I thought maybe we some... just ate too much feta cheese or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a family connection. Yeah. <laughs> so but... Nancy, is there anything else that you want to uh, get across to our listeners before our time? Um, yeah, and is we only have about here. a minute and a half. So yeah. Well, my uh, the only message I want to say is talk to your family and find out you know what what happened to people. Um, as best as you can. You're right. People didn't used to talk about it, but um, find out your family history because there's certainly there's breast cancer that runs in families. Lots of things run in families, and it's important to know while people are still around, of course, you know what what's been going on. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. And and Courtney, would you do the same thing? I know. Um, maybe tell people what the. Uh, 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 website is for force and for pink wings. Yeah, the main thing I want to get out because you can get so many questions answered is facingourrisk.org. And so that's www.facing, F A C I N G, ourrisk.org. Um, or you can even type in just force or facing our risk on Google to get to it. But they will, it's so many questions answered about hereditary breast cancer, breast cancer ovarian, who should be tested, also the names of all the different gene mutations, because there are many more than just BRCA1 and 2 now, but, um, and there's peer navigators, there's all sorts of stuff on facingourrisk.org um, that can answer so many questions. And Great. Courtney, I know, that, I know that Force used to have some meetings in various cities, do you guys still do that? Yes, there is a coordinator. Um, her name is Stephanie, who is out of Portland. And so, yes, they do. And I think they actually have a okay. meeting coming up. Um, okay, hopefully good. they'll post that on the FORCE um, okay. website under, under Portland. But, yes, there is a Portland uh, FORCE group. Okay. And are there other ones around the country? Also, um, yeah, oh, yeah, they're all over the country. Okay, um, okay so has, you, they um, can find them at the website, and then they can just yep. find the one closest to them and get involved, And they can right? find the one closest to them. I know San Diego, L.A., Northern California, Florida. I mean, they're all over the place. And they're always looking for other people wanting to, Excellent. you know, join in as a force volunteer and start yeah. new groups. Um, and then also, like I said, there's a conference coming up in October um, that'll be in Florida this year. Um, yeah. Great, great well, information, you. amazing speakers. 
Yeah, that's Thank great. you, Courtney, for joining us today. And thank you, Nancy, as well. We're really appreciating all of your time. And we My will pleasure. be back next week. Um, until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.